So we're going to try to respect the 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 arc. The arc. And not Do we get it. like smitten immediately if we say <laughs> bad words behind You're going to find out? Yeah. All right. Um, hey, Jews, we're recording this episode in a temple, in a very, very holy space. So it is extra important that we not swear. However, sometimes Liel swears. And on the off chance that he does, you might want to send the little kinder out of the room so that they don't learn bad words from him. Uh, so a little bit more on that in a moment when we actually start recording. Um, but first, you should know a little something that our regular listeners know, um, which is we each kind of have, would you say it's an on-air persona? Personality. It's like a personality, right? It's like an exaggerated version of ourselves. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mark is, he's in charge. He's the dad. He went to Yale. He'll probably bring that up. Hello, Temple Israel of West Palm Beach. This is Unorthodox, the weekly podcast from Tablet Magazine. I am Mark Oppenheimer, joined as ever by Tablet Deputy Editor Stephanie Butnick. Hi. Hi. And Tablet Senior Writer Liel Leibowitz. Shabbat shalom, Mar-a-Lago Mark. <laughs> this is what I'm calling you now. Oh, we're really we're just diving in with it. We went right in there. Um, we are coming to you live from the finest reformed temple on Florida's Atlantic coast. And also, Donald Trump is a mere yards away, probably, right? This is, is this the first Camp David weekend at Mar-a-Lago of the presidency? Second. 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 Sorry. It's hard to keep track. Our Jew of the Week is Igor Steirenberg, director of the Miami Jewish Film Festival. And our Gentile of the Week is Rocco Mangel, founder of Rocco's Tacos and Tequila Bar Empire. Plus, we're going to have letters from the mailbox, questions from the audience, and then we're all going to go over to the Atlantic Ocean for a communal skinny dip. (laughs) Won't you join us? Uh, We want to say that the opinions expressed herein are probably not always the opinions of Temple Israel of West Palm Beach. (laughs) They are, however, the opinions of, of us, right? Sometimes, 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 right? Sometimes. Like, we'll see. Um, Before we go any further, I just want to dedicate this show to Laura Handler from Boston, who had emailed us saying that she was had bought a ticket to fly down from Boston to see us in West Palm Beach, but then she got snowed out yesterday, and so she didn't make it. So, if you know, if only Laura Handler. This is Laura Handler's show. Um, Who else might? Who else might be here? Who's special, Stephanie? I want to say that I brought. Like in South Florida, I roll pretty deep. Uh, I think there are like 13 people right. who are here that, you know, who Rose I know. one through 19. Rose one through 19. Um, I have a full bar mitzvah here. Um, we got everyone. This is also, I should say, the first time we've ever done a taping. We've done what? Is this our, like our 10th live show by now? And I don't know that we've ever done one on Abima. This is real. This is like. This feels legit. This feels or very. Or that we've ever attended a service. Yeah, we, did, we, ha- we attended a Friday night service before this. Um, a lot of you guys were there, but our, our listeners weren't. And it was beautiful. We have Rabbi Olshine. She did an amazing job. We're, I'm a little upset because next week is the Beatles Shabbat, and we're missing that. Yeah, and why like, didn't we get to come yeah. for the Beatles Shabbat? But I want to say, like, I know a lot of, more about you guys having like been through a service with you. Like, it got real. It's very, it's a very Hamish place. It's a very warm place. And this I is like say, the last service we'll yeah, probably... Is, <laughs> yeah. I want to say, though, like, Liel, like, kind of showed off during the Shema. Like, really, like, ran through that Hebrew real fast. I just, like, thought that was obnoxious. He went all Israeli accent yeah. on us, too. He's like, eh, mase. Yeah. Why are you speaking in English? It's like, it's... <laughs> 
So I also have to say that um, this is this is kind of a special service for me, and I'm glad it's at a Reformed temple where you count dogs in the minion, because. <laughs> and I say that, that I with I love that. I say that with love, because some of you, those of you who listen, which is like half of you here, we're thrilled to say, uh, have been following the travails of my dog JJ. Um, I have not yet announced on the air until tonight that JJ has gone to meet her maker. Um, she is. She's in dog heaven now. Um, we took her to be put down about 10 days ago now. My daughters, Clara and Ellie, both stayed home from school because they wanted to go to be with her when she died. Um, I said yes. I should say it was a half day. It was early dismissal anyway, so it wasn't a full day off from school. But um, it seemed okay to take a half day off. So, like, you'll, they'll still get into college. They'll st- <laughs> Now you know, they have an essay to write. That's right. I don't think I've told you this story yet about... Did I tell you this story about what happened when we went to the cupcake place afterwards? No. Oh, so... But this is like the arc of the essay. Oppenheimer the be Oppenheiming. Yeah. That's right. So after the dog's death, after literally we saw the dog's eyes Your close, kids were there? I just said, I took Ellie and All Clara. All of them were in the room, though. Not, not numbers one and four, but two and three were there. Ellie and Clara. Like literally in the room? They were in you? the room. Wow. They, they actually, like, Ellie hugged... Ellie hugged JJ as she died. It was very sweet. Oh. Um, sorry, that just brought That's me you judging down. Judging your parenting. That's, so no. after JJ died, I said to the kids, "Do you want to go get some like cupcakes?" Just to, to. It sounds twisted now, but I felt like they deserved. No, you're like kids in our tradition. In the Jewish, someone tradition. dies, and then we, and eat, then we a eat a lot. lot. We eat a lot. <laughs> And so, then you, you eat so much, you stop being sad. That's right. So I said, in that tradition, I said, Lador Vador, let us go have cupcakes. So we went to Catalina's, the cupcake place, which is near, which is on Audubon Street, near the, the vet. And the cupcake lady, she was, a little, she was a little put off that there were children in there during a school day. You'd think the cupcake lady would be happy whenever children walk in. But she looked at them and said, don't you have school today? And Ellie, the eight-year-old, said, well, yes, but our dad let us stay home. And the woman kept pushing it, and she said, well, what, you know, why would he let you stay home? And Clara, the six-year-old, looked at her and said, well, he took us with him to see our dog get killed. <laughs> so the cupcake lady just said, oh, um, here's a cupcake. Cupcake? <laughs> so Wait, did she point, give you, like, a free cupcake? At this point, I was going to say, at this point... I kind of thought maybe there'd be a free cupcake involved. I kind of thought, like, wouldn't she say, have a cupcake on me? She didn't. We purchased them a couple cupcakes. They consumed them. We went home. They went about their day. But that's just by way of saying that I know our our listeners email me and say, how's JJ? And the answer is, not well. We'll meet again. Don't know where. Don't know when. But I know we'll meet again some sunny day. This is the point in our show where we, we welcome our subscribers, people who have signed up for our, our newsletter in the last week. And this Which week, all of you should too, because yes, it's a very good newsletter. Uh, the jokes. If sometimes. you email unorthodox at tabletmag.com, you can get a weekly newsletter from us with photos, with jokes. Liel writes the newsletter. This week, the people who signed up were the law firm of Amanda Barkin, Stephen Bronstein, Marianne Tatum, Barrett Haar, Abby Seitz, and Elizabeth Weinfeld. Now, Stephen Bronstein. 
Who do you think Stephen Bronstein? Bronstein? Stefan Bronstein? Well, I'm not going to out Stefan Bronstein, but let's just say that there was a, a stop uh, from Germany to Brazil or Argentina. <laughs> just saying. He's in America now. He's safe. But Stefan, we know. We know where you are. I want to think that like Stefan Bronstein... Stephen Bronstein, sorry, is like the heir to the Braun Razor fortune, but like he had like a really tough relationship with his family and he just like broke away, like cut off the trust and doesn't shave, has like this crazy beard and it just rubs it in. Every Either time. that or the Brawny paper towel. No, that's guy. a different spelling. And that guy's not, that Brawny guy is not Jewish. No, he's absolutely not. I have nothing to top that. I think one of you guys has nailed it. So Stephen Bronstein or Stefan Bronstein, thank you for being a subscriber. We encourage many people to join you in that endeavor by signing up at tabletmag.com or sending an email to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. While you're at it, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever fine free podcasts like ours come to you. Don't miss an episode. Also, I'd like to announce a new, um, a new little special program this week. If you get a friend to subscribe to our podcast, email us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com with a special message for your friend, and we may read it on the air. It could be a little birthday thing. It could be a congratulations on the adoption of the new puppy. It could be, it could be any, it could be any sort of simcha, I would like to say. You're really digging here. Yeah. <laughs> Um, a little news of the Jews. Natalie Portman has made a video for Vanity Fair's website in which she teaches some words of Hebrew slang. Now, the main news value here is that there's substantial disagreement among the unorthodox podcasters about the importance of, na- of, of star of screen Natalie Portman, which so, is just... No, I got to start this. Vanity Fair asked several Best Actress nominees to, do, to give a secret talent. Emma Stone pogo sticked. I don't know if that's a thing. She's cool. No, and Natalie Portman spoke Hebrew, which is not a secret talent. Like, that's just a language. <laughs> like, are we at the point now? It's like I'm going to tell you something in Hebrew. It's a secret. This set Liel uh, off because he can't stand fellow Israeli American Natalie Portman. First of all, not Israeli. You know, her parents please. are Israeli, right? Right, but that you she know, was you born in Israel. Get, right, but you don't get the. She grew up on Long to, Island. You have to do stuff, right? You have to go through service in a certain organization, oh. and, you know? Uh, but here's the thing. That's not even my main qualm. Natalie Portman is the Ivanka of Hollywood. Like, she's the one you all think is, like, better than the rest, but she's just as vapid than the rest of them. She is the most freaking awful actress. And the choice of words of Hebrew slang that she picked, Right, so she taught, like, it's, really? a, it's a two-minute-long video in which she basically went through eight or ten so different calculated. words. So calculated, like... I will choose one like cool word, then I will choose one like old school word that anyone would know, and then I'll say one bad word, tee hee, because I'm so like reckless. <laughs> Pogo stick, Emma Stone, best Oscar represent. <laughs> you'll never, you'll never, you'll never sway me from my true love for Natalie Portman. I just, I, she's ever since Beautiful Girls. Did you see Beautiful Girls? You and every other Jewish Yeah, like nerd. a Jewish guy who loves Natalie Portman. Original. Okay. So- <laughs> There's you know a who I like? Helen Mirren. Yes. <laughs> Liel and I actually had this conversation before in the... I can go here, right? In the yeah, green so room. So when Liel thinks about, God forbid, anything ever happened to his beloved wife, um, you know, what, what celebrities would he call up to come over for, you know, casual friendship? And for the him, only answer all, is 72-year-old Helen Mirren. For him, it's Helen a Mirren. A gorgeous, guys, it's Dame amazing Helen woman. Mirren. Can you Dame, have some Dame Helen I want a Dame, damn it. I don't <laughs> want a and for, I went younger, you went older, which is just, just interesting. Um, also, in, finally, in the news of the Jews, 
There was a terrorist attack in Petatikva this past week, and when they finally cornered the young Arab man who had stabbed a few people, fortunately no one was killed, he was cornered outside a sewing shop, and he was partially taken down, uh, disarmed, by someone who came out swinging a sewing machine. That's right. Which just sort of goes... It sort of goes to the resourcefulness of Israelis. It's like, you, you can leave the army, but the army never leaves you. It was like, stop! These pants are very ill-fitting. <laughs> I need to take in the hem and maybe a few inches down there in the seam. You call this a shoulder pad. Can I ask you something serious? Having served in the army, having... That was not serious. That wasn't serious. <laughs> having served in the army, as you allegedly did... Yes. Having, you know, being able to sort of rebuild a rifle, take apart and put together a rifle blindfolded. Under 30 seconds, that's right. Under 30 seconds while bathed in Vaseline. That's right. Does that fighting spirit ever leave you? Like if someone were, were, if there were, if you were in a little bodega and someone came in to rob it, like would you spring into action? Absolutely. I also want to say like, I fenced in college. Like I would spring into action. Like you don't the, the only least... one cowering behind the Doritos would be Mark Oppenheimer. <laughs> We would like to do a little bit of a promo for a show that is coming up. Uh, Golem, which does the music for Unorthodox, is doing something March 23rd at Drum in the East Village. It's an old Catskills tradition to have a fake wedding at the hotels on Labor Day weekend. It's a fun way to end the summer. And they basically take over this little club in the East Village. They have a fake ceremony, a fake rabbi. They have a chuppah, a wedding party, and then they have wild simcha dancing. Everyone is invited, though you should probably get some tickets first. If you go to DramNYC.com or go to GolemWeddings.com slash fake hyphen wedding, you can find out more about it. Also, some of you who have listened to our show a lot know about our jubador, Jim Nabel. Jim Nabel will be doing a live show at City Winery on Varick Street on February 19th. It's a klezmer brunch. It's Jim Nabel and his jubadorians. For more information, you can go to CityWinery.com. Calm, and we encourage you to go check it out. It's a lovely morning date for you and your beloved. Our Jew of the Week is Igor Steirenberg. Igor is in his fifth year as festival director of the Miami Jewish Film Festival, which he has grown from a small annual event with 4,000 people to the third largest Jewish film festival in the United States, getting 27,000 attendees this year. Third, yeah. Yes. Yes. You know, Jews used to have, like, book festivals. And I guess you figured out, like... (laughs) Same concept, only two hours of investment, and much more beautiful people. <laughs> um, I think that the, the film is a very generous interdisciplinary art form. Um, what this particular year was a milestone year. We celebrated our 20th annual edition. Um, what we try to do different is not just simply show a movie any longer, because um, the different ancillary channels that are available now through tablets, through cell phones... Um, uh, require uh, the burden of just doing something even more different. And in this particular year, we, we, we strive to create a, a performance enhancement. So we had a live dance performance on stage, um, <laughs> complementing, seriously, an uh, incredible ensemble uh, that was local to our community. Ida, the modern dance. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, was, it was to complement the premiere of Mr. Gaga, the <laughs> film that Tomer and uh, Barack Heyman put together. Um, it was extraordinary. It was breathtaking. So when you were a kid and you said, someday I want to direct a Jewish film festival. That didn't happen. <laughs> what steps did you take to realize your dream? 
Um, believe it or not, I initially I wanted to uh, be a teacher, an academic in university. Uh, I, however, quickly realized there is not a long prospective future for me for that uh, endeavor. And I said, you know, I enjoy films as much as anything else. Um, and I went to school at USC. Uh, I was an Annenberg Fellow. And um, I studied under Leonard Malton. I was his assistant. Um, and Leonard that, Malton, the film critic, teaches at USC? Yeah. That's amazing. It's incredible. Uh, incredible. And Did you want to be a film critic? There's no money in it anymore. You know? <laughs> um, it's not like directing <laughs> film festivals, which is big. You know. you know, you'd be surprised. <laughs> uh, third largest. His Bentley is outside with <laughs> the driver. His driver is idling the Bentley right now. <laughs> Um, and, 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 you know, after graduating, I, I realized I wanted to go back home. I wanted to go back to Miami. I didn't want to be in New York and L.A. I wanted to go back where I grew up. Um, and I, I, very, I was very lucky. Uh, I found work at our local art house, which was itself just starting to flourish. Um, and it suddenly has become one of the more preeminent art houses. And then I worked at Miami Film Festival. So what's the film that you're most proud of bringing to the film festival? Either the most, you know, controversial or the most thought-provoking? Oh, most controversial, without a doubt, be the horror film Jerusalem. Was uh, that the amazing. zombies? <laughs> Which I know Neil, you're a big movie. fan of. Um, I think a lot of our audiences did not read the fine print. Uh, the words apocalypse and horror just went over their heads. Uh, and they so thought it would be a, a movie about Jerusalem. It, of course, That's it was obvious. a visual tour of the beautiful country of, <laughs> of Israel and then Jerusalem. Uh, so that was a bit of a, it got their breath. Uh, but it was a unique experience. You know, they, they certainly enjoyed a new genre film. It was one of Israel's first uh, genre films. That's right. So uh, that was a great experience. So, you know, w w one of the amazing things about you, and, and this, I don't think any other kind of person could, could turn this enterprise into, into what you did. You really are a true obsessive. So we, we want to get down and dirty with Jewish film. Um, say you had $500 million to direct the Jewish film of your dreams. Any topic, any actor, any director. Go. Um, I know that Natalie Portman would have to be in it. <laughs> yes. We already struck gold right there. <laughs> um, I, think, I think if I could, if, I, it was, it was, if we're talking about my dreams, I'd just try to resurrect from the grave Stanley Kubrick and just kind of like leave that pot of gold you know, in his hands and hopefully he could make something magic happen. Stanley Kubrick with Natalie Portman as Menachem Begin. would <laughs> be amazing. So what's the Jewish film that you want, like, struck from the canon that young Jews watch? Like, what, do you, what film are you just so sick of? <laughs> what film am I so sick of? Um, you can say it. Is it Schindler's List? Um, <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't think I'm sick of any. I think that, to, to counter that question, I think that what really is important is to actually connect with the young Jewish audience right now. Uh, we started this particular year a new initiative completely targeting the programming to the millennial age range. It's called the Next Wave Membership. It's entirely free. It's like YouTube videos instead of like two-hour films? <laughs> no, we actually give that particular audience uh, first dibs at advanced screenings of Hollywood movies like La La Land, like Jackie with Natalie Portman. La La Land was a very <laughs> goyish movie, by the way. In there's like, I don't think there's a single Jew in La La Land. It's, I, think, I don't think the content when we do our year-round screenings really need to cater to a Jewish or Israeli agenda. I think we need to create a bridge. 
uh, I think the, the first uh, effort needs to be creating a, a sort of bridge where they have a sense of trust and a sense of uh, a willingness to participate uh, with our Miami Jewish Film Festival. A Jewish Film Festival has its own stereotypes. You know, it has a certain stigma. What are they? What is the stigma of a Jewish Film Festival? Oh boy, I don't have to say it in front of this audience. Uh, it's, they won't it's, tell anyone. This is a safe <laughs> space, actually. Um, well, when I was working at Miami Film Festival, uh, the... His mic just went out, I think. Yeah. He's Wait. actually being censored by the yeah. Miami Jewish exactly. <laughs> Rabbi Olshine, thank you. Saving the day. Sure. Yes. Um, the thing is, it's, it's, it's catering to a very older aged audience. Do you feel like Jews are older than other people? <laughs> they do live really long. Is it just that they live forever? Are we all destined to be 93-year-old Jews? Oh God boy. willing? Oh, boy. Uh, and then the Holocaust. I mean, that is just one of those central overarching burdens we as the curators of Jewish film festivals have to constantly face. So here's the thing, and I've always wondered that. So you get submissions, right? Because everyone wants to be in this festival. Now, so that means that there's a period of time every year where you sit down in your house and there's like a pile of probably 78 Holocaust movies that More you're going to watch. <laughs> you can do that. I, fortunately, I don't really have to. Uh, we have a screening committee composed of some big, some really, really generous and, and disciplined just like, you, lovers. you, and you. Yeah, and, they, and, and we got 2000, over 2,000 submissions this past festival season, which how, is extraordinary. So how, how do you say you would choose? I mean, of course, big names, of course, kind of like buzz. Uh, we, passed on, we passed on films with big names. Um, we passed on a movie called Norman with Richard Gere. Uh, just didn't feel that was a film that we wanted to deliver to our audience. You have to learn how to say no and be comfortable about it. Um, saying yes too much isn't really friendly to grow your brand. Um, but I, I really like to respond to this by saying like a movie really has to astonish me. It has to leave an, an everlasting impression. It really needs to connect with me because you have to expect that 27,000 people are going to come in and experience a festival and they can't just simply be entertained. There needs to be a positive, some kind of really lasting message that, that, that is imprinted on that. Otherwise, what's the point of a Jewish festival? Are there ideological boundaries you want to push? You know, are there certain films you want to bring to the, to the audiences here? And do you feel like a pushback if, if you go too far? I really like to think of the theater uh, as uh, a non-political arena. I think it's really important that at a time where we're so divided and even divisive in some communications uh, in the world, it's important to bring community together. It's very important that we uh, establish lines of dialogue, line, bridge making. Um, the core value of our festival is we really want to provoke thought through film. And uh, film has the, uh, an incredible power uh, to connect with people in the most intimate, intimate way, right down to their soul. Um, and we want to elevate that. We don't want to tear people apart. We don't want to push people away from coming to our festival and experiencing unique films. Um, we want to make sure that when they come, um, they really are left with an impression that will keep them thinking. I have two final questions for you. The first is, what's it like to go through life with a name like Igor? It's fantastic. <laughs> it was we, fantastic till now. We actually we, we, we honored that experience because we showed Young Frankenstein right. in 35 millimeter yeah. as, a, as, a, as a midnight screening. That introduction. Your parents are, are they Russian? Your parents? From Ukraine. Ukraine. So there must be this thing where they move here, like we give our son this beautiful name, Igor, and then they discover it's this like has deep filmic resonance in America. Well, you know, no one knew that the Soviet Union, Union would collapse in you know, the way they did. <laughs> Otherwise, they'd name you, you know, something typical like 
Michael or David or something. Um, you know, but that's my burden. I, it's, my, it's my cultural burden. You wear it well. You wear it well. Um, if people want to connect with the Miami Jewish Film Festival, how do you recommend they do that? Um, go to our website, go to Facebook, go to Twitter, go to Instagram. We're all over the social media network. And what film like, should everyone watch that you maybe think they haven't? Um, I think La La Land has been the talk of the town. Yeah. Okay, what about like something a little more Jewish? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we, we premiered uh, two films that won our audience awards. Uh, the first is Ada Secrets. Uh, it's a film that is just an extraordinary documentary. Um, about the after effects of the Holocaust, of war, uh, and how it can tear families apart. Uh, but this is a film about how to bring that family together. Um, and then we had the world premiere of a film that's going to soon be the talk of the entire film industry, and that's the movie called 1945. It's getting its European premiere right now at Berlin. Um, it is a film also about the after effects of the Holocaust, but it almost unravels in this unresolved tension, like uh, Zinnemann's High Noon. Uh, it's, it's just a film that's with such riveting poignancy. It tells the story of the small town that is um, unable to let go of the possessions they take away from the Jews that were persecuted and taken to the concentration camps. Let me tell you, if I, if I were Atlanta or San Francisco, I would be shaking in my boots because you're going to take them over. Yeah, totally. You're going to be, no, next time we come, when Temple Israel has us back in two years, you guys are going to be the number one film festival in the country, if we have anything to say about it. Igor Steirenberg, thank you. Uh, usually at about the halfway point in our show, uh, when it's a live show, we like to take some questions from the audience. And I think we'd like to start by saying, we're going to do, do a few questions, but I think we'd like to start by saying, you have here three next generation Gen Y, Gen X, millennial Jews. We have our fingers on the pulse of everything. <laughs> do you have any questions you would ask your grandchildren if they ever called, wrote, or visited? <laughs> Grandpa Al, Grandpa Al has a question. We're grandfathering in Grandpa Al. Can we have a really big round of applause for Grandpa Al? Yeah. Yeah, Thank Grandpa you. Al. <laughs> Our favorite ever unorthodox guest grandpa. Yeah. And, really and, and a former Jewish questioner of the week on our podcast, an alumnus of the podcast. I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to my granddaughter. Which is what... And what I wanted to say was this... This gig that you have is really very successful, and my granddaughter is a big part of it. But as a Jewish grandfather, I have to ask, when are you going to go out on your own? (laughs) Sooner than they realize. (laughs) I'd like to know what keeps you individually and what keeps young people individually tied to Judaism? The, the dominion over world banks um, and the media. No. Um, to take your question very seriously, I think, you know, I'm, this isn't a language original to me, but I think Judaism um, is, is relational. You know, when you're... I happen to live in a neighborhood where when my wife and I moved there, we were invited to lots of Shabbat dinners, and, and these are not particularly observant people, but they're, some of them are observant, some are just loving, and they just welcomed us into their homes, and, um, 
and made us feel like we wanted to do Jewish things with them. So I think, um, I think Judaism is relational, and I think when Jews reach out to other Jews and invite them to do Jewish things, then it, it makes people want to be together as Jews. So that's, um, I don't know, it's a simple answer, but that's, for me, that's what it is. Like, if you're, if you're concerned about Jewish continuity, invite someone over. You know, that's, that's the answer. Well, unsurprisingly, I, I uh, did not entirely concur with my You concur plus. I concur a little You bit. concur and more. Uh, you but, you but, can. But here's the thing. Um, you know, for me, it's, it's a religion uh, that, I, that I believe in deeply, uh, wholly, uncomplicatedly. Uh, it is a religion that guides me to always question and frequently dissent. It's a religion that invites me to have a very complicated relationship with the events around me uh, that tells me that, in the words of my great late rabbi, uh, Leonard Cohen, there's a crack in everything and that's how the light gets in. Uh, I, I like it. And there's nothing else, there's no other engine in my life than that. Two more? Yeah. State your name. Mark Feldmesser. Nice to meet you, Mark. Since most of us are old, as you mentioned before. Uh, what do you think the affiliation will be with temples with people your age, since you're even younger than my kids? Um, I'm very optimistic. Uh, you know, we go every, my, my family and I go every Shabbat to a uh, temple on the Upper West Side of Manhattan called Romamu. Uh, which is a kind of uh, loosely affiliated neo-Hasidic uh, place where 500 people come every Shabbat to sing and dance and, and be together. I think that while uh, the traditional movements and, and, and traditional kind of organizational structures are having uh, sometimes a little bit of a challenge, though clearly not here in West Palm Beach, uh, to, to attract people, I think that there are so many revivals uh, all over the United States of people who are just finding their own way uh, in, into practice, into inquiry, into study. Uh, and that just makes me very happy. Yeah, I, I, I generally agree. I mean, the piece of it that I would sort of lean on is that the kind of tripartite scheme of American Judaism of, in which we, are, we have denominations on the Christian model, reform, conservative, orthodox, this is, this is the Protestant model of how to do things. And it, it's, it makes no sense for Jews. It doesn't even really make sense for Christians, but it makes no sense for Jews. And, um, you know, uh, I mean, I belong to a movement, the conservative movement, whose numbers are, are not good. Um, but that may be an opportunity. And I think that, um, to me, look, there's actually no problem with Jewish continuity. If you've ever traveled to an Orthodox, if you've traveled to Lakewood, New Jersey, or Deal, New Jersey, or Borough Park, Brooklyn, or B'nai Brock, you know that there are going to be millions of Jews for years to come because every two Jews are having 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 kids. Right? There is, there is, if the reason that any given person is sticking with Judaism is they feel like they have to be part of the continuity, they might as well stop because the Haredi Jews will, con- will continue us. Their numbers are strong enough. Their birth rate is strong enough. So the question that most people are really asking is, is there any future for liberal Judaism or for non-Orthodox Judaism? That's the question they're really asking. There's a very robust future for Orthodox Judaism. Um, if people want there to be a future for other, other kinds of practice, um, I think there always will be, but those numbers will be, will be smaller, I think. And the question will be, can those people find common ground with 
Jews who don't look like them and don't pray like them. That's my hope. Like, my hope is that when you're in a, you know, someday when you're in a town of a couple hundred thousand people, which has two, two synagogues, one is very reform, and most of the people there have some intermarriage in their family and don't know a lot of Hebrew and are liberal Jews theologically, and the other one is like a little Haredi or ultra-Orthodox shul, will they be able to break bread together at all? That's the project, because that, that is the future. That's right. That is and, the future. And I think as like a really young person... Um, what how, how long noticed... can you play that card? At what age do you stop playing that card? As long as she hangs it out with us, yeah, that's, why, go that's why I'm not. I haven't gone solo yet because I just like I want to feel young. Um, what a lot of what a lot of what I'm seeing, and you know, my friends don't belong to synagogues. It's you know, they're millennials. They're getting married later. They're not move. You know, they're not doing the traditional thing where you move out to the suburb and join a temple. That I don't think exists so much anymore. But what I'm seeing a lot of is these really interesting startups that sort of say like, okay, Shabbat is, we're going to all turn our phones off and get together. And I know Liel is like a little more cynical about that stuff, but I think there are interesting things happening where younger people are trying to engage in Judaism. You know, like after you graduate college and you live somewhere, you're not with your parents, you're not going to your synagogue, you're not going to your Hillel, people are trying to figure out what to do. And I think as, you know, things in the world writ large get a little more uncertain, I think people are looking for that. And, you know, I think it's not going to look like it did a generation ago, but I think that there are a lot of efforts by millennial Jews to sort of reconnect and to figure out what that means. And, and maybe that does, you know, ultimately translate into synagogue membership. I don't know. Um, yeah, even, even if it doesn't, I mean, what you're picking up that I'm not kind of liking is, is, is a sort of attempt that is all too often you know, going out there in, in federations and other groups, like, oh, we'll engage the kids by bringing on, like, a hip-hop show, and it's in Hebrew. Now, here's the thing. It's a, it's a religion with a fierce, moral, philosophical, intellectual tradition of five millennia, you know? We have a lot to give. You want to feel connected to it? Study Learn something, anything. Look, I'm a few generations removed from, you know, a, f- a few cheeseburgers removed from uh, my forefathers who were rabbis. So I'm not anyone to talk about living a halachic life, which I don't. But I think that if you really want to engage, engage. There's such a depth of stuff out there. And you could do it in any way you want. You could read so much. You could learn so much. You could figure out new ways of praying. But I really don't like this kind of kind of trendy and oh we'll do the sort of thing that kind of makes you feel Jewish but not is not really like diving deep in but I, I think that honestly we're finding a lot of things that really let you do it seriously I yeah. think if you set the bar too high you're going to lose a generation of people like I think you need to be like one needs to be more open minded and say that like it looks different now and maybe that you don't like that but you need to accommodate it but Stephanie, even to say, to talk about the bar being high or low is to kind of like seed the ground. Like, it's not better. <laughs> it's not better to make it all about learning. There are always lots of Jews who are fiercely Jewish and important to Jewish continuity who weren't scholars. I mean, Liel, you know. But he's setting the bar and saying, like, someone who does Shabbat with their friends. But whatever. Doesn't he's Talmud, he's doesn't like, count. I'm setting he the bar. He lives on no, pork rinds. No something. But he lives on no, pork he's rinds. He's a hypocrite. He's a hypocrite. Yeah. I, am a, I do live in pork rinds, but before coming here today, I stopped at the Lubavitcher's Rebbe's. And you probably, like, threw well, pork rinds at Now you're just it. bragging. Yeah. One thing that we always do is we like to read a little bit of mail from our mailbox. And um, this, this will interest you. I don't know why I say that. I might not interest you, but I think it will. Probably won't. Last week on the show, I talked about my brother's vasectomy. <laughs> Do I have your attention yet? And um, 
And my brother, how he had decided to have a vasectomy, and, and I'd heard about it from my mother, and it was kind of, you know, uh, we made light of it. And so then I sort of... You made light of it, and so did Leo. Right. Stephanie yes. made no light of it. And, uh, and, and we got this letter. I'm just going to read the letter. It's from Susan Miller of College Station, Texas. She writes, Dear Unorthodox, kudos to Mark's brother. He is a man secure enough not to feel his manhood threatened by his decision not to continue to reproduce. In this day and age, as in, let's face it, all others, women have the primary responsibility for birth control and they face the consequences of method failure. Women pump themselves full of hormones daily or implant them subcutaneously or stick artificial devices up their private parts to try to avoid contact with men. Sorry. Or stick artificial devices up their private parts or try to avoid contact with men. (laughs) There's a therapist in the audience, yes, after the show. They can also elect to have their tubes tied, which is a major invasive surgery. The cost of all this is not insignificant, and currently there is a movement afoot to permit insurance companies to not pay for any of these methods, which save women's lives. I cut you guys a lot of sexist slack because you are young, and I am not, and because I live in the boonies and like a dose of Yiddishkeit where I can get it. But I can still remember when birth control was illegal, and the best oral contraceptive was the word no. I honor my husband of 42 years for having a vasectomy, Outpatient surgery, which did nothing to diminish his virility. Get your egos out of your balls and start to think of. <laughs> Get your egos out of your balls and start to think of this like menschlach. Male middle class privilege is boring and boorish. Yours, Jewish, but not Jewess. Susan Miller, College Station, Texas. Yeah. So, I just, I just want to say that. I'll tell you my reaction to this letter. Maybe you guys have your reactions. My reaction to this letter was, she was right. I, I made fun of my brother, which wasn't nice of me on its own merits. But also, I didn't honor the fact that there is a political and feminist dimension to taking control of the birth control in a marriage. And um, while it's always nice to make fun of my brother, I, like to not honor that fact was a real failure of me, not just as a brother, but as, but as a podcast host, I would say. No, I agree. And when I was listening back to the tape, I was just like... Why didn't you say something, like, to myself? Because I feel like there really is a feminist argument for doing this, and you guys were like, oh, balls, gross, scissors. Like, you guys, like, really went there to, like, eighth grade recess. And I feel like, as the sole, you know, like, sane person here, I should have said, guys, there's, like, it's great that he did this. Like, he should do, it's, what's the problem? You're absolutely right. Women are, um, and I I mean this in all earnestness, a hundred times braver, smarter, and more sensible than men. Uh, And on them depends the continuation of our civilization. At the same time, unless your name is Heinz and you are an Obersturmenführer in the Fourth Reich, you're not taking a knife anywhere near my private parts. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I was really pleased to get that letter. I think Susan said it better than, than, um, than I could have. So Susan Miller, College Station, Texas, you are our letter writer of the week, for which you win the designation Letter Writer of the Week. Um, if someone else wants to be our Letter Writer of the Week, you should write a letter to us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Liel, didn't, did, you, you or, got a letter you were excited by. Or send us gifts. <laughs> I got to tell you, this week I received um, a tremendous gift from one of our longtime listeners, Dana from Chicago. You know who you are. Uh, it's a coffee mug 
from an organization that I feel I have to belong to right now because it represents pretty much everything that I believe in. And I'm, I'm reading from their website right now. The organization is called Jews Can Shoot. And their tagline is, nothing says never again like an armed Jew. <laughs> and so, Dana, I can't tell you how happy you've made me. I will have morning coffee every Tuesday as we record the podcast with this beautiful mug. And when we come to Chicago, you will be our very special guest. Thank you. Wow. And now, our Gentile of the Week. Come on up, Rocco. Man. Do you say your last name, Mangel? Uh, yeah. Mangel. 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 How are you? I'm good. I just want to Wait. say, can I say something real quick? Before I even introduce you? I want to you? say, Baruch HaTal Denoi Eloheinu Melechalam. Amen. Are you sure you're I went to so many bar mitzvahs in Long Island. <laughs> <laughs> That I sitting down and I was like, I'm going to say that because I know it, so I wanted to say The it. end of this blessing is Borei Priha Agave. <laughs> so, for those who don't know who he is, and that is nobody in this room because he is a true local celebrity, Rocco Mengel is synonymous with tacos, tequila, and good times. His Rocco's Tacos and Tequila Bar empire has six restaurants in Florida. One in Brooklyn? Did I get that? Yes. Or did they expand just yesterday? Like, is, did, there, we have one more in Tampa that we're opening. He is at the forefront of Mexican cuisine, and when fans hear the buzzword tequila echo through the restaurant, everyone prepares for him to take his spot on top of the bar. You apparently have a legendary dance that you do with your white shoes. I do. I get on the bar on a, uh, any given night with uh, white platform shoes that some of these people might have worn to their prom, and uh, I walk up and down the bar, and I pour tequila for free. So you're not wearing those white shoes now. I am not wearing the white shoes now. So we like can't expect that. You're not going to like jump on the. I've never worn tequila in a synagogue, and uh, I might, but it's close. But. Is this your first time at a synagogue? No. This synagogue, yes. Oh, but not a synagogue. Oh, I've been to a lot of them. For bar mitzvahs. Hey, he's from Long Island. I grew up. In oh, Long that's Island. you grew up on Long Island. Oh. <laughs> Where on Long Island? I grew up in Hopog. See, I don't know. Long Island. Exit 38. My father had restaurants in uh, Gray Neck. Some people Where? I grew up in Great Neck. Let's get a shout out for Great Neck. Manhasset. Nice. And so, everybody's going to be excited. My grandfather was co-owner of the Copacabana. Oh, my God. Wow. So, so you're Jewish, right? You want to hear something very crazy? You guys are going to really love this. So I did a DNA test, and I'm 43% Ashkenazi Jewish. 43? That's as much as Mark. I don't That's even know more than me. That's I don't even know how that happened, but my sister bought me a test, and uh, yeah, so I'm 43 percent of when I, that city. So. Down here in in West Palm, do people have bar mitzvah parties at at Rocco's? Does that ever happen? No. Or do you cater them ever? No. Uh, no. No. It's not the. There's probably there's a lot of bar mitzvahs I've been invited to, specifically in Boca. Um, I have a restaurant there, and uh, most of them aren't catered. Mexican for one reason or another. <laughs> so this is my question. You, you grew up in this business. Uh, you saw how hard it was. You know, it really is one of the most grueling businesses out there. And yet you chose to persevere with it. You chose to make it your own and, and, and grow in it. What, 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 what is it about, that, about this business that you love? It speaks to you. It's in my blood. Um, 
I moved here in 1997. I had $200 in my pocket. I lived in my car. And I got a job in a restaurant on Clematis Street. Some of you know, some of you don't. I bought the restaurant 10 years later. Um, I never was going to go to college. I didn't graduate from anywhere. Um, and I think hospitality, taking somebody's experience when they come into a place, wherever it was, I was in the nightclub business too, and changing their perception and idea of how their night's supposed to be and making it better, or their day or whatever it's going to be, that's what drives me. So That deserves a round of huge applause. So there's Rocco's Tacos, like in West Palm, Boca, Delray, which is the rowdiest location? Because I feel like you guys might go to different ones. So, like, which is the craziest? No, Palm Beach Gardens is the, Palm Beach Gardens is the mellowest. Uh, it's like over at 10 o'clock. You know. um, sorry. Um, so, Fort Lauderdale is the busiest uh, round yeah, round of applause here. for Lauderdale and on any given day of the week West Palm Beach Boca tends to be a little bit more family orientated I think Tampa is going to be pretty rowdy but what's beautiful about Rocco's is we cater to everybody so you can go at all different times and usually after 11 o'clock and you know I've seen tequila bring the best and the worst out in people so um, what's it, the what's the What's the story? What's the craziest thing you've seen? Like, what is... When you get together with the other restaurants... Trying to see who I know in the audience. <laughs> like, are they here? What's that thing where you're like, if you retired tomorrow, tell I had a story you would once, dine out on? Um, I was pouring tequila on the bar, and I had a girl once. Um, we did a contest to see who could drink the most tequila, and uh, she drank tequila for about 15, 16 seconds, and she got completely naked in the restaurant. She took off all her clothes right there. And... <laughs> The guy she was with came up to me and he started yelling at me and he's like, we're on our first date and yelling. I said, you should be thanking me. <laughs> and that's a true story, but the girl did take off. Did they clothes. stay together? <laughs> like, we did they have kind their of escorted there? her out and put her in a car and said, no more tequila for you. Would their you? kid's bar mitzvah is going to be celebrated in Rocco's. Yeah. <laughs> so, your name is Rocco. My name is Rocco. <laughs> if you're... And, Tacos, obviously. Right. If your name wasn't Rocco, like, what would, what do you think you would be doing? Like, what kind of food would it be? <laughs> I mean that really seriously. Shlomo's shawarma. Yeah. I don't know. It could be mangles matzo ball soup or something. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I, I fell in love with Mexican cuisine when I worked in a restaurant called Moquila in Boca Raton. I worked at Gigi's and New York Prime and a bunch of places, but this Mexican cuisine that I worked at, I was the manager. And it was like on the forefront of when tequila became very popular, like absolutely the 80s. And then I went to Mexico and I got my master's in tequila. And so I wanted to ask so about that. I graduated. Yeah. So you're here. like, you have a certificate of like I do. tequila I mastery. What? I do. I helped create this brand of tequila. Uh, Malagro, which it means really? miracle. Yeah, that's Thank you. those guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's and delicious. Yeah, I'm looking at that bottle. So, so I have a question. Uh, you know, I converted to tequila. I was born vodka. Okay. Then went the <laughs> process. You um, have to ask three times. <laughs> you have to be turned down and then come back and do shots. What was the um, brisk like? Is that there's still I feel even though I mean to me this is really you know one of the most wonderful kind of complicated complex. You know, beverages out there, but there's still kind of that, uh, you know, stigma, for lack of a better word. It's like, 
it's tequila. It's a Jose Cuervo college right. shots on the bar. Like, does that? How do you educate people in your restaurants about the different, you know, the reposados, the blancos, and añejos? I think I really think a lot of people educate themselves now. People become, you know, there's the mixologists of the world, and and people do different blends and all this different things and you know crafts. And if you guys are from New York, there's all these bars and. You know, I, I, I've traveled to the tequila is really just one simple thing. It's a Blanco. It's a white spirit. And then everybody puts a twist in it, throws it in a Jim Beam barrel, Jack Daniels barrel, and then it becomes an Añejo. If they age it or they do this or they twist it or they bend it. But the phenomenon is people with tequila have become like people with wine. And I think that people embrace the true spirit of tequila and that, you know, with it being Mexico and everything. And it's not like when I was in college where I drank Cuervo and I'm like, I am never drinking this stuff ever. So again. do you remember like the first kind of redemptive shot of tequila, the one where you had a sip, be like, oh my God, that's not like those college frat parties. I didn't drink tequila when I first started in the uh, Mexican restaurant business until I started opening Rocco's and I spent three months in Mexico. And literally I had a guy you know, show me that this is the way you drink it and this is how you do it on a warm day in Mexico in the middle of Jalisco. I'm drinking tequila. That was like, this isn't tequila. You had like a tequila Rebbe, like a master I who did. sort of like guided you yes. on your, it was like an ayahuasca trip, a but maestro, tequila. I did. Yeah. I had, a guy, I had a bunch of guys. Yeah. So, so Rocco, since you're basically 89% Jewish, um, <laughs> one of the advantages you get with that is you can, you can speak about Jews with authority. Like if you're, you're, you know, you can tell the jokes now. Okay. Um, so start here. Are there stereotypes about Jewish customers when you do business in Miami? <laughs> no, I don't do business in Miami. Oh, okay. <laughs> but... Um, I worked in Boca for a long time. <laughs> and I also grew up in Long Island's very diversified. And, uh, you know, I did... I, I, you know so many more Jews than I do, having grown up in Western Massachusetts. I don't you know are much more Jewish. I, I worked in a restaurant where I must have waited on a Goldberg every other guest. <laughs> I worked at a restaurant called New York Prime. The guy's like, I'm Mr. Goldberg. I'm like, he was here right before you. <laughs> and they tipped wonderfully, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, no, every, everybody seems to be great. And, you know. Rocco, you're our brother. We love, we love you. Thank you. For and the me. odds that you are matrilineally Jewish are high. I mean, like, you are, you are probably a Jew. We're in probably fact. all related. We're probably all, like, you're our fourth cousin. Okay, if all we right. were related, could we eat for Rocco's at, eat at Rocco's for free? Sure. Just see, just see. <laughs> Only on Jewish holidays. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Everyone, I think you've just met the greatest Gentile of the week, who it turns out is so great because he's actually a Jew of the week. <laughs> Everyone, Rocco Mango. Thank you. So much fun. Thank you. Este amor apasionado anda todo alborotado por volver. It is now time for our Mazel Tovs of the Week. Stephanie, do you have a Mazel Tov? I got a Mazel Tov to my Uncle Joel. Whose birthday is this weekend? Who's who's here and who was at our? He's he's here from Manalapan, not too far away. I won't give you his address because that's weird. But um, I think we should sing. 
he he requested that we don't sing, but he also I want to say that he flew up to New York for our live show in New York, and that just like really was so touching, and I'm so happy, and I'm glad to be here to celebrate his birthday. Uncle Joel, Uncle Joel, and I want to say he's wearing a Yamaha tonight. <laughs> a, a beautiful Yamaha, indeed. Liel, do you have a, a muscle top? I was going to say something like stupid and snarky, like I usually do, but you know, then I re- I read the rabbi's Facebook post about this community taking in a Syrian refugee uh, family. And, and I thought, you know, um, whatever you think about politics, these are such troubled times. And if, if nothing else happens but bringing us all together and bringing us uh, to the point where we could wake up and act like true, committed, responsible citizens and care for each other, uh, that would be a hallelujah. Because I love the community, the Kahila of Temple Israel of West Palm, I, I turn my mazel tov over to a couple of you. Are there two of you who have a mazel tov you'd like to give? We have a woman right there in the floral. Tell us your name and your mazel tov. Um, my name is Jackie, and my mazel tov is to three of you. Oh. <laughs> we like you oh already, God. Jackie. <laughs> Um, and I have a little something as well. She brought a gift. Oh my god! Oh my god! Um, I actually wanted to get three gifts, but I figured this could just be enjoyed. It was a little bit less expensive. Oh, thank you, Jackie. <laughs> if it's Amazing. alcohol, it goes straight to me. Jackie, stay after, and we'll give you hugs if you want them. Do we have another Mazel Tov to turn over my Mazel Tov? Two more people. I want. I want three Mazel Tovs on my behalf. Tell us your name and your Mazel Tov. Karen. And Hi, Karen. Mazel Tov to our um, son Matt and his fiance Leslie, who are getting married in a couple of months. Oh, Mazel, mazel Tov! tov. Mazel tov. Did we mention both, that we do uh, we do weddings? Yeah, and Liel and I. Jewish. Just saying. Liel and I are both ordained Universal Life ministers. We, we are. both performed weddings. So sure, rabbis are fine and all, but if you're looking for something more universal. I want to say that neither of them are performing my wedding. Uh, Sandy Mahoney, I think the last yeah, the last puzzle that has right to be here. yours. Sandy Mahoney, the great Jewess Sandy Mahoney. I have to say Mazel Tov to my son Jeffrey Rackett and Susan Bayless, who introduced me to Unorthodox. Oh, God bless them! Mazel Tov to and you. We should guys. give a Mazel Tov to your daughter who's and here. To my daughter Jennifer. Go to Jennifer. Your son. And I also She's want to. Here. I also want to give a mazel tov to Sally Zilberstein with a Y and an E. Are you still here, Sally? There she is. She's written us several times since the podcast started a couple years ago. She's one of our great correspondents. And really, letters from our listeners are like manna from heaven. They taste like whatever our favorite food is. And um, they, really, they, really, they really keep... They taste like Rocco's tacos. And they really keep us going. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. Special thanks this week to Temple Israel of West Palm Beach, Florida, the finest reformed temple. The finest reformed temple in the hurricane zone. Our show is edited by Noah Levinson and produced by Alyssa Goldstein and Shira Talushkin. Rabbinic supervision by Rabbi Cookie Olshine. Kosher slaughtering by Rabbi Harold Shapiro. On Twitter, we're at Tablet Mag. On Facebook, we're at Tablet Magazine. Stephanie is on this newfangled thing called Instagram at S. Butnick. Our music is by Golem, whom you can see live soon. And we're proud to be part of the Panoply Network. Shalom, friends.